Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, we're still living through the coronavirus and getting to understand it a little bit, as much as the scientists understand it. And today we have Mo Manklin, Communications Director of U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Mo. Good morning, Vernon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's good to be here. I really appreciate your being here, and thank you for taking out time. I know it's a very busy time for you guys uh, working with your clients. So first off, tell me, what is the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, and how did you get involved with it? Sure. So we are the the Worker Co-op Federation for the United States. We're the national grassroots membership organization specifically for worker cooperatives and democratically owned businesses. That's businesses that are owned and governed by the people that work there. So, you know, we, we really center workers in any business model, really, but we really focus on helping to um, spread the model of democratic governance of the organization so that workers are able to have a voice uh, in the work that they do. And, you know, as you can imagine right now, that's a a particularly important thing to understand and and to incorporate into business practices is, you know, we're going through such a trying time. And, you know, uh, everyone's really concerned right now about about workers. And we believe that should always be the case, not just in the case of crisis. So from day to day, we, we are trying to help spread the idea of empowering jobs through worker ownership. Um, we do that through events. We, we run a bi- biannual conference. Um, actually, this year it's going to be held online um, because of COVID-19. We run a co-op clinic, which is like our technical assistance program. We do a lot of policy and advocacy work with our membership at the federal, state, and local levels. Uh, so we represent more than 200 businesses. Um, within our membership. And and really, that represents what we estimate to be around 800 worker co-ops across the country and around 8,000 workers right now. And we're seeing like quite an uptick in either conversions to uh, this model and and people that are starting up businesses because they are tired of how businesses work right now and they want to make sure that they have a voice in where they work. So um, that's a nutshell of worker co-ops. So, you have 200 businesses that are your members, and these are businesses that are owned, democratically controlled by the workers. The workers are shareholders, they're, they're workers, and they're members, and they're owners. They're all of the above. And you said there's about 800 worker co-ops in the U.S., and how many workers, did you say 2,000 workers? Um, we have between like eight and 10,000 um, okay. workers. And our membership is actually, you know, it's it's interesting. It's a, it's always a, a moving number. We have more than 200 members, um, and and what we know is that, you know, that that number is our 
the the number of like verified worker co-ops is like 465 and there are tons and tons of co-ops that have just started uh so and, and a lot that we are just uncovering just because we didn't either didn't know about them or they're newly formed um and they're in the process of converting so that's why we estimate around 800 worker co-ops and democratic workplaces across the country uh, and we're also okay. excited to have uh, you know, not just worker co-ops, but also, you know, like cooperative developers and lenders and allies to the worker co-op movement in our membership. So tell us real quickly up front, when are you going to have your uh, online annual meeting, biannual meeting? When are you going to have it? How can people get into that or understand it if they want to start a co-op or if they're if they're one of these businesses that are going out of business because of COVID, but the employees say, we want to own this business, how can they get a hold to you guys? Oh, these are my favorite questions. Uh, you asked a couple in there, so I'll, I'll take them one yes. at a time. So um, we, you know, as I said, we have a, bi, a typically a biennial conference. Uh, that's a national conference, and um, that's called the Worker Co-op Conference. And uh, we had originally planned to have it in in uh, September here in Philadelphia, um, but because of COVID-19, we're moving that online. And so the main events will still be in September. Um, that information will be coming out in May. You can find, uh, or, I'm sorry, in uh, in June. And um, you can find information about that at conference.coop. Very easy website to remember. And um, we will actually be having um member meetings um, outside of that throughout the year. So um, you can always find out information about that at usworker.coop. Um, but, it, I mean, to your very important question about, number one, what if people are interested in starting a worker co-op, we host a monthly worker co-op startup webinar, um, which is always a really amazing time getting to know uh, a ton of people who are just interested in the model and have really, really solid business ideas that they are trying to start up. Um, so that happens on the first Friday of every month. And, um, you know, I think right now your your question about um, people that want to convert their business to the worker-owned model is a really prescient one because we're seeing a lot of businesses that are facing possible closure or possible buyout, um, particularly because of the crisis. But even before that, um, there are a lot of businesses that were facing um, facing hardship and, um, and possible closure. And so uh, we partner with many different organizations. Um, first and foremost, uh, Democracy Work Institute, which is our nonprofit arm, um, leads a lot of kind of our cooperative development in, in terms of um, conversions to, to worker-owned models. And um, and we also help people with that through our co-op clinic, our technical assistance program. So what is that partner you were telling me about, Democracy? Democracy Work Institute. You can find information about them at institute.coop. Um, they're, you know, we, we lovingly call them the, our think and do tank. So, um, you know, we partner with them on big picture things like our, we do a, a biennial um, census of worker cooperatives to understand the ecosystem and to, uh, to get to know our members and non-members a little bit better so, so that we understand how the, the movement is scaling. And Democracy Work Institute is our partner in that work. They also... Um, do a lot of work for training around democratic management. So they have a whole school, the School of Democratic Management, actually, um, that works to train up leaders around participatory management practices, best practices for um, you know democratic governance. 
Um, and they also lead a lot of our initiatives with uh, local governments to develop the idea of worker ownership and, and introduce our government officials to, um, to the concept and the model. Okay. So I need to go back and make sure I got this and also the listeners out there have it that you have a conference in September. It's going to be online and they can, I can find out and they can find out by going to www.conference.coop. So you can find out about the conference, which will be held in September, and you can get that information next month in June as you're working that out. That's the first thing, right? Did I get that right? That is perfect. Okay. So the other thing is, which I don't have down so well, is on the first Friday of every month, you have a class, a webinar on startups, how you start up a worker co-op, you have a lot of interest in this, even before COVID-19, but with the people that are closing down, that may be even more interest in it. Also, conversions, I understand, I don't know, 75% of small businesses are owned by uh, folks, baby boomers. Uh, 2,000, uh, 2.34 million businesses owned by baby boomers in the United States. Yeah, and yeah, that is... Um we call it the silver tsunami crisis. Yep. So, wait, wait, before, wait, wait before you go in there for me. I just need to know how people sign in every first Friday to get this information first. How do you, where do they go sure, online yeah. or how do they figure that out? Uh, they can go to usworker.coop, usworker.coop. Um, and our events calendar has uh, that information. And yeah, it happens every, every first Friday. I think maybe the next, I know sometimes we don't like, you know, the 4th of July weekend, it's, it's the second Friday. But, um, but yeah, the first, generally the first Friday of every month, we host that at 3 p.m. Eastern. So when is the one in June, the first Friday of June? That would okay. be June 5th. Okay. And you can go to usworker.coop and go to the events calendar and you can get information about this training this webinar of how you start up a worker cooperative even if you have a great idea or the company that you uh, have been working for before COVID you were working there January and February and they close and don't look like they're going to start back up but your workers may come together and say look we want to own this and you can come to this webinar and this training and you can find out how you might be able to do that or if you were working for somebody like me that's a baby boomer and to keep the business from closing down or being sold out and being merged and maybe leaving the community, the employees may say, we want to own this and take that to the owner, which you've probably been working with for some years. And then most likely, at least as what I've heard, uh, you can tell me if this is correct uh, or not, Mo, but most of those owners would love to sell to the employees. And therefore, the employees can keep that business in the community, the community can survive, and the employees can keep their jobs. So is that about right? The worker, the business owners? Yeah. So you hit on a couple of really great points there. So um, I think that a lot of business owners, you know, they, they've built a business a lot of times with their own bare hands from the bottom and, and grown it into a business that they love, but, you know, they're just getting older. And I, I think what we see is that there 
is there is a lot of interest when people know about that as an option, right? So here in America, we're not so familiar with the idea of worker ownership, right? Um, there is there are many many um, uh, ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans, throughout the country, um, businesses that use these plans that kind of have introduced people to the idea of employee owned businesses. But I, I think that by and large, uh, we're not so familiar as a country with the idea of selling the business to the workers and, and having uh, like step up in that way, but also build wealth in that way, right? So mm-hmm. um, you, mm-hmm. know, you mentioned the community. It is so important that we keep jobs rooted in the community, keep families, um, families uh, supported and, and where they are um, to stabilize jobs and, and keep them from being, you know, um, sold over sold overseas or um, or conglomerated. You know, we see a lot of really big businesses and, and small businesses being bought up by bigger ones. Um, and when that happens, there is a disconnect, right, with the community. Uh, um, you know, workers have to move or they lose their jobs. So this is a way to honor the, the blood, sweat, and tears that people have put into the businesses that they work at, build wealth, for people uh, within the community by, by transferring ownership to them and then also build skills. And that's one of the things that I think is very, very. So listen, uh, Mo, we've got to take our first break and we'll come back, but I just want people to go to conference.coop to get information about the conferences coming up. You can go to usworker.coop to find out about this first Friday uh, training. Uh, if you want to start your own business, and then the institute.coop has a lot of information training around democratic management. And we'll be right back and we'll talk more with Mo about this whole worker co-op, the people that own and control the business. But we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Your news talk station. everybody this is vernon oaks the program is everything co-op we're here with mo manglin and just having a great conversation about worker-owned co-ops which is one of the four sectors of co-ops and so any business you could think of could be a worker-owned co-op it's if it's owned and controlled by the employees it's a worker-owned co-op and u.s federation of worker co-ops is that umbrella organization where these worker co-ops uh, belong to to get training, to get advocacy, to a lot of things that we're going to talk about now. Uh, but there are about 200 businesses they have as members. They also have technical pr- providers. They have financial uh, uh, organizations. They have financed these worker co-ops. And it estimate about 800 worker co-ops in the U.S. and growing with somewhere between 8,000 and 10,000 employees, workers, members, owners, in, uh, in these businesses, and it's really growing with a lot of interest, particularly with COVID-19. So, Mo, what are some of the things that you have found out, uh, what you've been working on uh, with this COVID-19 as it's, it's just come over and swept over since March, later, later part of February and March? Yeah, as with 
all businesses across the country, we, we've seen a huge hit for our worker co-op. Um, you know, we have been furiously organizing um, COVID-19 resources that are also on our website, hosting member solidarity calls so that people can share. And we found those have been really helpful, right? Um, I think in any space that I've been in, but especially ours, you know, the worker co-op community is one that we're best when we are sharing best practices and sharing experiences. And we're that's kind of just a part of the ethos, right? It's part of how we think about things so that we can do work better, faster, more uh, empathetically, um, and more inclusively. So, you know, we have these member solidarity calls to understand, you know, what are the challenges that people are running into and what are what are some kind of bright lights that we're seeing in, in the midst of all of this. Um, and through that, we're also actually literally getting on the phone and um, calling every single one of our members uh, to understand, like, what is happening with them right now. So, you know, I, I think we're seeing some of the same trends that we're seeing uh, in, in all sectors is that, you know, with small businesses, all this happens so quickly, right, that there has been a lot of trouble just trying to understand what these loans are and how to work with them. Um, should we even apply for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan or the Paycheck Protection Program? What does that mean? You know, and it's surfacing a, a lot of issues that I think we've been battling with for a very long time. One of the great things um, that we did see is that the Small Business Administration actually did not require the personal guarantee for loans, um, which has been a huge stumbling block for cooperatives across the board. And seeing that personal guarantee requirement taken away actually has allowed a lot of our businesses to finally receive access to um, those SBA loans, which is really exciting. And, and we hope to hold on to that progress. Right. Um, so with, right here, though, right here, Mo, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to give a shout out to U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops, NCBA, NCB for the advocacy work of going to the House and, and the Senate to get that written in. That was not just sort of automatic. I mean, absolutely. yeah, SBA is doing that now, but that was with a lot of effort. I've, I've had folks on from. Uh, Esteban uh, Kelly, who works with you, you work with him, who's been on, and John Hosclaw from NCB. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to the folks at NCBA, and next week, Chuck Snyder from NCB and Doug O'Brien from NCBA will be on the program here to talk about all of this and this ab- huge advocacy work of getting the Small Business Administration, getting the House, getting the Senate to write these things in so that it would, these could go for co-ops. And originally, I just one more ad thing here, that housing co-ops could not go for these loans. And this last time it was put in that housing co-ops could now also go in. So I don't want to take that for granted. You said it so quickly. Yes, you don't have to have the personal guarantee, which has been a huge stop for co-ops because it's owned by all of the members not one or two people. So it's, and most of the time, a lot of these members don't have this huge net worth, all of these, all of this collateral. And that's why I like co-ops because they're coming together with people that don't have all of this, but they learn how to run a business and run it successfully, which helps the community and helps the family to create that wealth you're talking about. Okay. I can preach on this, Mo. I love it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's let's important to, to understand, though, it's, it's a lot of these barriers are really just because of a lack of understanding of the model, right? So, you know, if you're requiring a personal guarantee for all of the owners of a business, 
and there are, you know, 25, 30 owners, that represents a huge administrative issue. Um, and, 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 and the issue of, of ensuring that all of the owners have, you know, equal skin in the game. And that's really all we're looking for is to, um, to have parity with other businesses because we, because, because of the worker co-op model, um, inherently people have skin in the game and they really care about those businesses. So it was a very exciting development, you know, which I think stems a lot from many different issues, but, you know, it's certainly not the least of which the Mainstream Employee Ownership Act, which uh, passed in 2018, which uh, basically prompted the SBA to look at these issues. And so they, they, they've known that this was an issue even before 2018, um, but especially since then. And so we have been pushing alongside all of our partners like NCBA, NCV to create parity for our co-ops um, for a really underserved sector. So co-ops just have not been able to access small business administration offerings as well as they, um, as they should be able to. And, you know, the, the, the silver lining that I see right now um, with this crisis that's going on is that many of our members are, have been able to access these funds. So, you know, for instance, you know, New Frameworks uh, is a construction, construction company, one of our beloved members, and, you know, they're able to take a moment to actually keep people on the job, even though, you know, some construction had to stop. They're actually back at it already, but um, being able to access these loans have been able uh, able to keep people on the payroll, um, you know, for this business that's able to go back to work now. They were able to create like a co-op COVID leave fund and and have people stay safe and and um, stay you know at home, but still be able to you know pay those people and and you know close to their 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 typical pay mm-hmm. and then be ready to reopen or South Mountain, a different construction company that actually was able to um, take this time to actually do some strategic planning, right? Which is really important. So I want to go all the way back to solidarity calls. I, I got the two examples you've given and how this this is happening, but the, I like this idea of the solidarity calls of sharing best practices and having empathy toward one another. And this whole, the sixth principle of co-ops is cooperation among co-ops, and which is one of the things, I, another thing I love about co-ops. So when do you have these calls, and how might people get involved in them? Uh, same as uh, our worker co-op startup webinar. If you just look at usworker.coop, um, all of our solidarity calls will be up there. We actually just had, we just wrapped um, two, the two for May um, up, and we'll, I'm sure that we will have more going into the future. But we always post that on our website and tune into our social media, so at USFWC on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also find us on Facebook. Um, so we are we are constantly pumping out information about you know opportunities for people to come together with us and also with our members, right? So um, you know we have um, the wonderful situation of having not just this national network but also really close ties between that national network and our different regions. So you know for instance the North Bay Area Worker Cooperative Network and the New York City Network of Worker Cooperatives. Those networks are able to pull people together at a more local level, and we stay connected with those networks. Those networks stay connected with folks on the ground, and they're also holding um, solidarity calls. And um, I know Nobos in in the North is is, um, hosting skill shares so that co-ops can share skills between different co-ops. So you know, it's it's 
not just like the Federation staff that's doing this, but the Federation as a whole, including all of our members that are creating spaces for members to, to be in solidarity with each other. And also just to share all those questions, right? Like, how do you fill out this application or how do you um, make your physical space the most safe so that people can come and do pickups for particularly for uh, food businesses? So we're going to go into our second break. If you want to know about the conference coming up in September, it's conference.coop website. If you want to know about the calls on the first Friday of every month or these uh, solidarity calls, skills calls, you can go to usworker.coop. And if you want to find about training around democratic management, you can go to institute.coop. And I also got, was it USSWC for Twitter, Facebook? For you can get that information there. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. We're going to get into more examples of what the U.S. Federation of Worker Corps have been doing through this pandemic. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have uh, Mo Manglin on the show. She's the community director at the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. She's given us a lot of great information about worker co-ops, which are employee-owned and controlled businesses, democratically controlled. And uh, National Cooperative Bank has sponsored this program. Mo, they've sponsored it now for six and a half years. And NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And they've been a great, great partner in this process. They're great cooperative. So I just want to give a shout-out to Senator Gillibrand from New York. Uh, you had mentioned the Main Street Employment Act laws. The Main Street Employee Main Ownership Street Act. Employment Act, right. And she was the main person behind that in 2018, and I would love to have her on the show. I like to put out who I'd love to have on the show, so if anybody out there know her, or we can get <laughs> some input to get her on to talk about that. And being from New York, she probably gets it that uh, with with all of the housing co-ops and credit unions, um, they, they put up, I think it's $2.5 million a year to help worker co-ops. Uh, they had this fund to help to get worker co-ops started. So New York has a real ecosystem for creating, starting, and helping co-ops. So she probably knows in order to get elected and stay elected, she needs a co-op vote. She yeah, definitely absolutely. Needs it's actually, vote. I believe it's above $3.1 million now for this year. And, you know, I know that it, it is going to be a struggle um, in the face of COVID about um, in, in ensuring that, that those funds keep flowing. Because I, I think, you know, particularly in the grand scheme of New York, like you're saying, um, you know, that money has been very, very well used, right? So uh, I think I would be hard-pressed to know any other sector of business that has created as many worker cooperatives as the New York ecosystem has seen an uptick of, you know, like many, many businesses. Um, I know that our worker cooperative ecosystem has seen an uptick, particularly over the last three years, a lot due to um, work that's happening in New York City. And while we're talking about New York, I'll also give a shout out to Representative Nadia Velasquez, also from New York, who uh, championed the Main Street Employee Ownership Act on the uh, on the House side, who has been a very 
wonderful advocate for cooperatives of all kinds, especially worker cooperatives, within her role as the chair of the Small Business Committee. Can you say her name again for me? A little bit slower so I can write it down. Representative Nydia Velasquez. And Nydia, that's what I didn't get, Nydia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. um, we actually, she actually kind of spearheaded a, a hearing session specifically about uh, employee ownership in December of 2019. Um, and I think a lot of this work has really led to some of the progress we've seen, um, particularly around the personal guarantee and just, uh, you know, the, um, the, the headlining of uh, worker cooperatives at the national level. It certainly doesn't help. Uh, it doesn't hurt to have um, leaders like uh, Kirsten Gillibrand um, using her the vehicle of you know her presidential campaign to kind of put forward cooperatives and worker ownership. Um, it, it was it's been a very exciting year um, in in that, in that particular in, in that particular fashion. So I would like to know how to get Joe Biden and just to be clear it would be interesting if we could ever get donald trump to know about co-ops and to put him in but mm. how do we get joe biden to have it on his platform in a big way um so we yeah, are working I, on it. it uh don't you okay. worry about that actually one of the very exciting things about my role um at the federation is being able to lead our policy initiatives and um i would encourage any legislators out there to reach out to us um at, uh, you can reach out to me at mo at usworker.coop um, we are always happy to work with our legislators at any level, um, be it Joe Biden or be it, um, you know, the mayor of Philadelphia or be it a ward leader in a neighborhood in Oklahoma. Right. We are we are excited to work with legislators to help them to understand um, worker ownership throughout the different levels of government. And we do, in fact, stay in contact with a lot of a lot of our legislators at the federal level. Um, to provide advice and education around worker ownership. Um, I was actually okay. excited. Um, you may have noticed at the, during one of the presidential debates, they actually brought up worker ownership, which was very exciting. Okay. And mo at usworker.coop. If you any legislator out there, or quite frankly, anybody out there that want to know about worker co-ops, I see Mo light up when you say worker owners or democratically controlled. She just Brights up like a light. Always, always. Okay. You should have seen me when I heard uh, Bernie Sanders talking about worker ownership on the debate stage. I was very excited about that. And, you know, it's, it's like I said before, it's really just about people understanding that it's an option. If you understand that it's an option to sell your business to your workers or to start your own business with uh, some of your, you know, your closest partners, I, I think that people are really open to that idea and they're really excited about it. Okay, Mo. I have a sense of this, but for everybody out there, what are some of the pluses? Why, why are some of the benefits of starting a worker-owner cooperative? Yeah, there's so many. Um, so, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, like worker participation and, you know, having what was this, skin in the game and, you know, just feeling like you have a voice within the business. And that's a, that's a thing that is important to all sorts of people, you know, from, you know, in a, a idealistic, like new entrepreneurs up to, you know, Mark Cuban, who has been talking about uh, worker ownership lately um, in the news, which is, you know, it, it really goes to show that this is a, a topic that is really, really, you know, uh, attractive to, you know, folks all over the place. 
So it does not matter about your political affiliation or your class or your um, your region. It, it is a universally likable topic for all sorts of people um, because it builds skills. So, you know, um, it allows people to learn more about finances and how they run their business. Uh, it helps them to understand how to manage other folks. Um, it helps them to be more resilient as a business. So, you know, um, for instance, right now, we're seeing a lot of our businesses are keeping people employed. They they might collectively decide to take a lower wage, but that will enable them to actually keep everyone everyone's jobs intact. And those are the kinds of decisions that people are able to make together at, through a worker co-op. And, you know, that, that leads to, like, a greater uh, retention for businesses, um, generally higher wages, a more equitable wage, you know, most uh, the, the biggest corporations in America have a 303 to one uh, ratio between the highest paid worker and the lowest paid worker. The average 300 to one, 303 to one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the average worker cooperative, the, the pay ratio is uh, two to one. So you can imagine what that does to a worker to know that from the top to the bottom, you are having an equitable wage that, you know, is, is commensurate with um, the, the work that you're putting into the business. And you know that, you know, the, the wealth of the business is being distributed to all of the workers, not just the top percent. Okay. So uh, given I majored in math, let me try to understand this. Okay. So in normal capital business, the range of the salaries are 303 to 1, so that if the lowest paid person was making 20 bucks an hour, that doesn't happen necessarily. It might be 10. Uh, it, but it, if it, it was. <laughs> if the lowest paid person made 20 bucks an hour, well, let's take the $10, which is more likely. So if the lowest paid person made $10 an hour, the highest paid person would be making $3,030 an hour. Wow. Yeah. We see these kinds of numbers going around that it seems, you know, completely un- uncomprehendable knowing that some people make like thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars a minute, an hour, um, while people are trying to hold down multiple jobs that are barely paying the minimum wage and in order to support their families. So I think what worker ownership does and what worker cooperatives do is to ensure that the wealth, the value that's created by workers, they get to, to benefit also in the wealth that's created through that value. So if I've got my numbers, if I got my zeros right, if somebody's making $3,030 an hour, if that's your highest pay, that might be your president of your organization or something, then that person is making $6 million a year. If a person is making 10 bucks an hour, that person is making $20,000 a year. And it's awful hard to feed a family or even one person off of 20000 Yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. So that kind and of inequity. Inequity, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so in a, in a worker co-op, the ratio may be two to one so that, and I'd also get that $10 an hour person is going to go up. 10 is not going to be, it may be more like 20 bucks an hour. So you're talking about 20 bucks an hour to 40 bucks an hour is the range that your president may be making 40 bucks an hour, which is 80,000 a year. And the lowest paid person is 20,000, which would be 40,000 a year. So you get a closer sort of equitable payment based on what somebody's given to the, 
to the uh, organization. And that $6 million guy, that president of that capitalistic society, his main function, at least through my education, is try to figure out what's the, your, your best rate of return for this stockholder. That stockholder gets to be the main primary stakeholder. And in the worker co-op, you've got the worker co-op is the employees, the main stakeholder, and then the customers next. Yeah, and stakeholders. So that's a total different focus and view. Is that right? Is yeah, that absolutely. do I have it? The, the, yeah, the focus. The whole business is focused around the workers and creating wealth within the ownership, not necessarily you know um, investors that are are, are 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 not putting in the work day to day, right? Um, and I'll wow. also, also say that the the average entry wage or the average wage paid at, at worker cooperatives is actually nineteen sixty seven per hour. And that's seven dollars higher than the minimum wage in the 13 states with the most worker crops. So if you look at all the states that have like the top amount of worker crops in them, um, that's seven dollars higher than the minimum wage in any of those states. Well, that's why I like worker co-ops. And I was wanting to try to get to Bernie and say, look, you'd be better off pushing worker co-ops than minimum wage at fifteen dollars. Because if you raise the minimum wage to fifteen, all you're gonna do is raise the cost of bread and your basic basket of goods. And so you may get inflation started if you raise the uh that um income at basic minimum wage. But if you do worker co ops and it's they get that profit, they share that profit, so you won't get that same sort of push and pressure to, to raise inflation. So here's what yeah. I've got so far is that you get worker participation, skin in the game. The workers have a voice. They have a say. They create work. And somebody said that uh, worker co-op, cooperatives, they, uh, people come out of poverty with dignity. So this whole sense of dignity and self-worth, extremely important. They get financial worth. And we just talked about the average of uh, salary would be nineteen dollars and fifty seven cents versus maybe ten bucks. And you learn you learn financial that how to operate a business, but you can also use that same skill set to run your household business. So you learn about savings and all of these things. You build all these different skills. And I have a, a Dr. Jessica Gordon Nimhart said Mo in her book that ninety percent of Co-ops are still in business after five years. We're in a capitalist business. Only 10% are still in business after five years. So residual and staying around longevity is there because of the training that they get. And it's working together to solve problems. Mm -hmm. They they get all of this. It may take longer to open up a worker co-op than if you go out and just, as I did, put up, get some words together, put it up, go downstairs and go downtown and buy your your, uh, license, and then you're in business. But... Not I mean, it takes so a we're going to take our final. We're going to take our final break, and we'll be right back. And we'll take this up. We'll be right back. Thank you, Mo. Information is power, and that's why WOL makes a great, great, great partner. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have Mo Manglin, the Communications Director at the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops, with us today. And, Mo, I'm so sorry I cut you off. What were you going to say right before we took the break? I was going to say that, you know, while it may take a little bit more time to just kind of understand how you want to run your business together, a worker cooperative will ultimately, like you said, to 
longer lasting businesses, more resilient businesses and businesses that really make sure that we're centering workers. And, you know, especially in a time like this, when we're talking about essential workers, that that is really, really important. You know, worker cooperatives are typically benefit most the people that are locked out of uh, of jobs um, because they're returning citizens or because of, you know, like where they are and, and the structures that have been created prevent them from being able to like create their own job um, or to get a job that they want. They're able to make their own job. Um, and in particular for the industries that are the most insecure, like your food service, your home care, your child care, your home cleaning. Um, these are all businesses where people are most, um, that those jobs are generally most unstable. They generally pay the least. Um, and worker cooperatives provide an avenue for those kinds of businesses and, and the people that work there to thrive. Um, and I actually Wonderful. love to go to go back, if it's okay, to um, you had mentioned T6 earlier. And when we're talking about the benefits of uh, worker cooperatives, I think I, I would I, I want to make sure to shout out some of our members um, that are doing some really great work. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, for instance, um, you know, Red Emma's, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, more than a decade old worker cooperative in Baltimore um, is teaming up with other cooperatives in the Baltimore area to create a cooperative general store. So, you know, they were typically a bookstore, restaurant, cafe, um, and they have joined forces with other co-ops to be able to, um, to deliver falafel, baked goods, books, coffee beans, ice cream. So you're seeing businesses within a, a small region being able to team up together and create a new supply chain, a new um, way of keeping those businesses open. And they were able to organize it themselves. They were able to pull that together in a really short amount of time and figure out their workflows. Um, and that's what happens with worker cooperatives because, as you said, principle six, cooperation amongst cooperatives, um, they're already trained to be able to do this kind of like thought sharing and, and pivoting and iterating and new ideas. So that's one of the benefits of this COVID-19 is people come together and figure out different kinds of products and services they can provide with that same employment base and with what they already know about. So that that is wonderful. Where I want to go to next is like Red Emma's, but um, a couple shout-outs. Um, I had a hero, a co-op hero on um, three, four weeks ago, Carmen Waitis Noble, and she was saying that Absolutely. you mentioned essential workers that made me think about it, that essential workers are not treated as if they're essential. They're not paid as if they're essential. And she said, what would it have been like, Mo, if the hospitals were owned by those workers? Make hospitals owned by workers, and she was she made a hypothesis that they would have had PPEs, that they would have planned out things because they're talking about what's best for the employee, and particularly in rural areas where hospitals are closing. But imagine if we can get those hospitals to convert to worker owned. Uh, somebody else mentioned airlines. Okay, if the U.S. gives takes taxpayer dollars and bail out airlines like they did with the banks. And all of that money went to the top. That those people that already make six million dollars a year, or whatever the case may be, that money went to the top and to the shareholders, but not to the workers. So why not give that money to the workers and let the workers own the airlines, uh, as another example? And when we start talking about future, and then somebody else, that was Michael Peck, on two three weeks ago, he was talking about all kinds of ones. And one of stuck was what if the U.S. Postal Service, six hundred fifty million employees, owned that business? What would that look like? and meeting their goals of what they were gotten started for. Or and a couple people have talked about it. Uh, what about all of these businesses that may not open back up? 
what if they are these small businesses are owned by the employees? If employees come together and say, we can make this work, particularly if they go to usworker.coop or institute.coop or co-op. Uh, cooperation.coop and get training on how to do all of this, to go to all of these things. Yeah, yeah. So can you give a, you talked about Red Emma's is right up in Baltimore. I've been there. The food was excellent. I've had a couple it's of meetings amazing. up it's there. Amazing. They, they were it. able to, yeah, they were able to, that's about 20 of us at a meeting one time. It was upstairs somewhere. They took us and they, they fed us. The food was great. And we had a great meeting up there. So what are some of the other businesses you've been working with? And what are they doing? And Red Emma's, you said, they found other products and other things to sell. They became more of a convenience store than a restaurant, deli, bookstore. So what what's some of the things you've seen? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to say I love these ideas. This is a moment to think big, right? We're in a moment where people are like, we have to retract. The money is running out. But this is a moment to really invest in a new kind of economy, a new kind of business structure and ways um, of plugging people into our economy that are going to restructure where wealth lives, right? Uh, like a, we really need to be re- redistributing wealth in this time. Um, you know, and, and I think a, a good example is, you know, we see in our, on, what it was a Tuesday, we had our peer network call for worker co-op farms. And um, those farms were, were checking in with each other trying to figure out together how to see and uh, how to address the upswing in demand for CSA shares, so like community shares of farm food. So figuring out so what's, a, what's a CFA share? What's a CFA share? CSA? Um, mm-hmm. It is a, you know what, I actually don't remember what no, CSA stands for. I don't, I, don't need a, I don't need a name of what it is. I just <laughs> want to know what's the content of it. If I, sure, can, sure. can I get a CFA share and I go buy fresh vegetables and stuff from farms? Is that what it is? Yeah, um, it, actually, I looked it up. It's community-supported agriculture share. So it's basically if you go to your local farm, they have a – typically you'd find that, like, there's a box of food that you'll get once a week. And you, so you pay a farmer for you know, several weeks or several months in advance for your share of the CSA. And then every week you get to go, and then you get to pick up um, the, your vegetables for the week and your fruits for the week. Um, and that all of that kind of comes together. We have some really great ones here in in Philadelphia. Actually, my local food co-op, the Kensington Community Food Co-op, has a, a co-op crate that is sort of similar to that, where you just kind of like taste the crate and then you get all that food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did have a farmer locally here in D.C. that um, a young African American lady that had farming. But I'm also wondering if we could take this to the Federation of Southern Co-ops, which are 900 or so black farmers in the 13 southern states, if they could create boxes and ship them to the post office. Post office used to send food and chickens all the time and all kinds of things. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of that work is already happening. Um, You know, so I think what the the interesting thing, the pivoting thing right now in this moment is all these farms trying to figure out how to scale up and accommodate Mm -hmm. orders. Because, you know, like typically farmers, they're not like setting up online stores, right? They're they're working with their like local farmers, but and I think in this moment, it is actually important to have pre-orders, online ordering, phone call ordering, and organizing inventory um, for pre-sale. And and that demand is only going up. You know, as we're seeing shortages at our, our normal grocery stores, you're seeing an uptick in people going to farms for that. And you know, our worker co-op peer worker co-op farm peer network is one of those spaces where people are able to share ideas, iterate really quickly, 
and and figure out how to to modify their business model in order to make sure that they're resilient in this time. Okay, so you mentioned a couple contractors. You mentioned Red Emma's. Who else have you been working with? What other trends have you seen, these other companies? Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, PPE. Oh, I, I guess uh, Carmen mentioned PPE. But, uh, and, and I think that it is really important, uh, you know, in this time where healthcare workers, home care workers are um, unable to access their per- per- personal productive gear, that, you know, costs are able to switch up what they do really quickly. So a few months ago, Opportunity Threads, which is a cut and sew shop in North Carolina, teamed up with Cooperative Home Care Associates, which is the biggest worker co-op in the country. Um, they're located in the Bronx, and they do home care. And um, they, those two businesses teamed up very quickly to create masks for workers, um, and then they ship them to the the Cooperative Home Care Associates. Um, and then we we have all invited folks to give to that campaign. You can find out more information about that on the usworker.coop website. But it, it, it shows that really, really quickly we were able to create a totally new supply chain between a cut-and-sew shop and a healthcare business that is able to ensure that people are, are able to be safe and to have equipment that's going to last and really support each other in this time. So I think those are some of the really important things to, to note is that, you know, the adaptability of work across is just amazing. I felt very inspired over the last several months about how people are stepping up. So we only have about a minute left. So I want to tell you my new tagline. This is Vernon Oaks' new tagline. It's voice. We mentioned voice a couple of times. And voice stands for V-O, Vernon Oaks, inspires communities everywhere. And you said you're inspired. So tell us right now in the last minute, Mo, what, it, what are you inspired about and what, would you, what message would you like to leave people with today? So right now we're working on a build with Representative Rokana to push forward uh, worker co-op education and outreach and, and lending, you know, capital. Um, and I feel inspired about what we can see in the future, right? So that bill would be incredibly important to really scale up the worker co-op movement. Um, and I find that really inspiring that even in this moment of crisis, we have the opportunity to, to push forward um, and see the new economy that we want. Let's push forward and build economy one. Everybody out there, please have a great week. Mo, thanks for being on and live cooperatively. Thank you. Your news talk station. 